We pick up the reading where Mary Kay left off with Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine has made it her life's work to study the New Testament from a Jewish perspective. She teaches at a Christian seminary, and she seeks to help Christian leaders who are in formation, who are steeped in certain ways of interpreting these stories 
She tries to help us understand them differently, more aligned with the way that Jesus, who was Jewish, of course, and his mostly Jewish audience would have understood them. One of the things she recommends is that we resist the urge to read parables as allegories. For example, how many of us hear the parable of the lost sheep and instantly see in our minds the figure of Jesus with a sheep wrapped around his shoulders carrying it home? Or perhaps you decided long ago that in this parable of the father with two sons, you are the younger or the older son, the rule breaker or the rule follower, while the forgiving father always represents God. These three stories we heard today are often named for the thing in them that gets lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost or prodigal son. But those titles encourage us to see God in the role of the one who does the finding. But as Levine points out, for the sheep and the coin and the son to get lost in the first place means someone wasn't paying very close attention to the things they cared about. And this is the kind of loss we can all relate to. These stories hit close to home because we all know what it feels like to lose something or someone we care about deeply. Jesus, who left his own family to follow God's call and who called his followers to leave their families to do the same, Jesus was no stranger to the loss that happens to so many of us. Children grow and claim their own values and identities, which may or may not align with those of their parents. Sibling relationships ebb and flow, sometimes defined by collusion and camaraderie, other times by competition and resentment. Parents who once provided essential love and support suddenly need our assistance, even though they might mightily resist asking for or accepting our help. Friends who provide invaluable support during one season of life drift away inexplicably during another. God knows we all know loss. We know what it feels like to lose someone, and we know what it feels like to be the one who is lost. We know what it's like when the person we long to have with us cannot be found, even when they're right in front of us. And we know what it feels like to be left out on the outside looking in. This is why these parables resonate so deeply. But Levine points out, if we read them and simply draw the conclusion that God is the only one that can ever do the finding, then we might have missed the point. Having heard this 
third parable, referred to as the parable of the prodigal son for most of my life, I used to think that the word prodigal must mean one who goes away and comes back home again. But when I finally looked it up some years ago, I learned that prodigal actually means spending money or resources recklessly, being wastefully extravagant. With this definition in mind, we can apply the word prodigal to the characters in all three stories. Certainly the younger son who wastes his inheritance, but also the father who gives that inheritance away to an irresponsible child, and then who spends more money on a huge celebration when that child comes home. The shepherd with the 100 sheep is prodigal as well, for it's his job to keep track of the sheep, and yet when he realizes one is lost, he goes off looking for it leaving the other 99 alone in the wilderness. And that woman with 10 coins, each of which represented a full day's wages, how careless must she have been to allow one 10% of her wealth to go missing? And yet when she finds it, she throws a party that probably cost her a significant portion of the ten coins she started with. These parables are important, not just because we so viscerally relate to them, but because they teach us what it means to be prodigal, extravagant, and wasteful in the way that God is prodigal. And not just to be prodigal with our love and resources in our personal relationships, but Prodigal as members of God's family. Prodigal with the gifts God has lavished upon us, love and grace and joy. In the projects of Los Angeles, there was a church whose members began seeing immigrants in their neighborhood, immigrants who were homeless and poor, strangers in a strange land. In response, the church decided to open its doors to these immigrants during the week so that they could have a place to sleep. So every night, homeless and undocumented men would sleep in the church. On Sundays, the priests and some of the women would come early and do everything they could to eliminate the smell they left behind. They'd sprinkle Love My Carpet all over and vacuum like crazy They'd put out scented candles and bowls of potpourri in strategic locations. They'd burn incense. But the smell persisted, and people grumbled. Finally, in worship one day, the priest decided to face the problem head-on. During the sermon, he asked the congregation a question, and it was not rhetorical. What's the church smell like, he asked. People were mortified. Women began to search in their purses for something, anything. Men looked anywhere but the pulpit. Come on, the priest said, what's it smell like? Finally, an older gentleman who never cared what people thought anyway called out, smells like feet. Exactly, the priest replied. And why does it smell like feet? Because homeless men slept here last night, a woman answered. And why did we let that happen, asked the priest. 
It's what we committed to do, someone else said. And why would we commit to do that, asked the priest. Because it's what Jesus would do, someone said. Well then, what's the church smell like now? It smells like commitment, one man called out. It smells like roses, another woman shouted. The writer of Luke's Gospels has Jesus tell these three parables of the lost and of the prodigals after Jesus is criticized for eating with sinners. In other words, people accuse Jesus of wasting his time and attention on people who don't deserve it. In response, Jesus tells these stories about the joy that comes when one person is welcomed into God's family after having been in any way lost. These stories teach us what it means to be a family of faith that follows Jesus' example. And they ask us to consider, how are we spending the grace that God has given us? Are we keeping it tightly to ourselves or parceling it out a little bit at a time to those we have decided are deserving? Or are we prodigal with our love and our grace and our joy, constantly searching for those who have been left out or prevented from coming to our table? When we see them coming, do we run to welcome them home and then celebrate their arrival with a joyful feast and the reckless declaration that everything we have belongs to them as well? Some of you may have heard me talk about how intrigued I am by this church's history of moving locations five times in our first 140 years. It is worth remembering that one of the ways the gospel story has taken root in this family of faith is that members of this church have always looked for ways to reach people who may have seemed out of reach. Sometimes the church did this by helping people get to church physically. The first bus ministry was a bus that went around and picked up children to bring them to Sunday school when they didn't have transportation. Now, our bus ministry helps transport people from local retirement homes to come and worship with us. Other times, the church did this by moving to locations that were more easily accessible to the people who wanted to be part of this congregation. We are also a part of a denomination that, despite our reputation for doing things decently and in order, has a history of looking for those who have not been included at our tables, whether because of race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or gender identity or any other factor. When we find those who've been excluded, we draw the circle of inclusion bigger so as to find and welcome home any who has been lost. Some might call this reckless, even prodigal. But what if this is one of the ways we imitate God's nature, just as Jesus did, 
recklessly and extravagantly spending and sharing God's love with all people, whether or not they appear to be deserving. A few years ago, Peter DeMarco wrote a letter to the hospital staff who cared for his 34-year-old wife, Laura. She had suffered a devastating asthma attack and died after seven days in the hospital. Peter describes the dignity and respect the staff showed his wife and her family as she lay unconscious. They told her what they were doing, even when they weren't sure she could hear them. They made sure she stayed warm. They were constantly asking Peter and Laura's parents what they needed, food, water, a hot shower, a place to sleep. In all these ways, they were generous and thoughtful in their care as Laura lay dying. But in other ways that mattered even more, the hospital staff was downright prodigal, recklessly circumventing rules, extravagant in their willingness to allow this grieving family to love one another through this terrible loss. One evening, they allowed Peter to usher no less than 50 people into the ICU to say goodbye to Laura with guitar playing and dancing and singing. They looked the other way when Peter smuggled in Laura's beloved cat for a final lick of her face. But what meant the most to Peter was what two nurses did for him in the final hours of Laura's life. It had been a long day filled with visitors, and by 4 p.m. he was exhausted. All he wanted was some time alone with his wife before she died, but he was so tired he knew he had to sleep, at least for a few minutes. He asked two of the nurses to help him move the recliner in the room closer to the bed so he could be next to Laura while he napped. Let us take care of it, they said, and ushered him out of the room. When they brought him back in, he discovered they had shifted Laura over to the far side of her narrow hospital bed, leaving just enough room for Peter to crawl in beside her one last time and sleep next to his wife for an hour. In his letter, Peter wrote, I will remember that last hour together for the rest of my life. It was a gift beyond gifts. If the staff of a hospital can be prodigal with their love and care, how much more can we as a church go beyond what is expected? to extravagantly and even recklessly seek out those who have been lost, those who think they would have no place here in our sanctuary or at our table. It might mean breaking some established rules and customs. It might mean acting in ways that look terribly irresponsible, even though it might also look a lot like God. Sitting down and sharing a meal with society's lost, the outcast, the unclean, the sinner, it's the kind of thing that regularly got Jesus into trouble. But it's also how Jesus himself was prodigal, 
recklessly spending God's love and grace so that all of God's children, including us, might know we are invited to the joyful feast God has prepared, recognizing the extraordinary inheritance we possess. May we know the joy that comes with giving it away, with sharing God's love and grace with everyone. What a joyful feast that will be. Amen.